Our scripture reading comes for us in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor your foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you guys for allowing me to be here with you this morning. Um, as Mark said, my name is Lee. I'm married to Doug Congdon. Uh, we both work at Riverbend Church. Uh, Doug is the student pastor there, and I'm the director of young adult ministry. So I work with uh, people ages kind of 20 to 35. Uh, basically singles ministry is what it is. Uh, and before we jump in, I need to just apologize because I might smell bad. Um, last night I was sound asleep in bed when all of a sudden there's this huge commotion, and I hear my husband yelling, and he is on the floor yelling under the bed trying to get our dog out from underneath the bed, and I breathe in and am astounded at the smell that is in our room, and it was because our dog was sprayed by a skunk last night, and then came into our house and hid under the bed in our bedroom. Um, and you know when you're like in a smell for a while, you start to get used to it? Like I laid awake for a long time last night and couldn't fall asleep because it smelled bad, but when I woke up this morning, the smell was gone. So that's either because my husband's amazing and gave the dog a really good bath and just smelled the way. Um, or it's because we just got used to it and we still smell like skunk and don't know it. So I'm sorry. If there's a smell, it's not your neighbor's video. It's probably just me. Um, can we pray real quick before we start? God, uh, what an honor. To be a part of your church, to be a part of the work that you're doing in this world, in Austin, at the Vine. Um, thank you, God, for, for giving us the gift of church, that we get to come together and hear your word and worship with brothers and sisters in you. Lord, I pray that this morning would bring you glory, would honor you, would please you. May our eyes be lifted up. May your word be heard and received. We commit this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want you guys all to think of a time in your lives when you were really, really tired. Maybe it was back in college and you were pulling all-nighters and, you know, staying up late partying. I know for some of you that was a really long time ago, Kid Redding, so maybe you need to think about something a little bit more recent. Um, love you, kids. I don't even know where you are, but I know you can take it. Um, maybe it was a traveling, you had a, a bad travel experience, jet lag, something like that. If any of you have kids, then you absolutely know what it's like to be really tired. I have two kids. Uh, they are four, almost four, and almost two. Um, so I am still tired uh, from their infancy, which was a while ago now. Uh, maybe it's actually maybe working in student ministry. Cole and Doug could relate to this. Uh, just last weekend, uh, my husband had a lock-in, uh, where it's literally you just lock yourself in a room with 75 middle schoolers for the whole night, and you just stay up all night. That's what the event is. 
um, is staying up all night. That's the point of it. So he knows what it's like to be tired. Um, so just think about a time when you were really tired. And then uh, I want to show you this diagram. If you can throw that diagram up here. Uh, here are some of the scientifically proven effects that lack of sleep have on our bodies. You can read, uh, I have bad eyesight, so I can't even read this up here, which is sad. Um, let me walk a little closer to it. Uh, you have decreased accuracy, tremors, aches, growth suppression, decreased temperature, uh, risk of heart disease, irritability, cognitive impairment, memory loss, uh, yawning, that's a funny one, severe yawning, hallucinations, impaired immune system. So you can see lack of sleep has a significant effect on the health of our bodies. It is kind of a big deal. And I'm, I'm actually not talking to you about sleep today, though I could because that's in the Bible too. I'm talking about rest. And this was a win for me because when Mark sent me um, the options of topics that he, he wanted to address in this series, Best Year Ever, and I saw rest on there, I was like, yes, that one, because that would be an easy win. Everyone will love me if I talk about rest, because who doesn't want to hear that they should, that God told them to take a vacation to Maui, right? Who doesn't want to leave church going, yes, I can binge watch Netflix for 10 hours, because that's good for me. Um, that's not exactly what is going to happen today, but hopefully we still leave encouraged and excited. Hopefully you still like me a little bit at the end. Uh, but we are talking about the narrow road kind of rest. If you were here a couple of weeks ago when Mark introduced this series, he talked about how in order to live the best life, the life that God wants us to have, life to the fullest that he came to give us, that it's going to be a narrow road. And those who find it are few. And there is a biblical, narrow road kind of rest that I want us to, to get a picture of in our heads today. So that is what we are talking about, is this narrow road kind of rest. And if you're like me, then you think about rest in three different categories. Kind of the, the worldly view of rest. I think of rest as bodily rest which is sleep or just literally laying down, being inactive. Um, brain rest, we use that term to turn off our brains, um, which would be you know, just zoning out to Netflix or video games or social media or whatever it is. Um, and then a break, which would be vacation, right? Bodily rest, brain rest, a break. Those are kind of the kinds of rest um, that I think about. Biblical rest is actually none of these. It might include some of these. They're not necessarily excluded from biblical rest. But it is not bodily rest. It is, it is not brain rest. It is not a break. Biblical rest is soul rest. It is not a break from anything. It is not rest from work or from physical activity or from people. It is rest in God. That's what biblical rest is. And I showed you that diagram to help us understand the effects that the lack of biblical rest has on our souls. Because sleep is to the body what rest is to the soul. So when you look at this diagram, again, I want you to try to translate it to our soul. And think about what happens to our soul when we are not resting in God. 
that there is irritability. Anyone, like, short with your spouse when your soul is not at rest in God? Cognitive impairment. Our brains don't work right. We don't discern truth from lies clearly when our soul is not at rest. Impaired immune system. We are more susceptible to sin. We will give into temptation more easily when our souls are not at rest in God. Heart disease. Lack of energy. We will pour out less. We will give less. We will be less generous, less selfless. We will bear less fruit when our souls are not at rest in God. We could keep going. I think that maybe you're getting the idea of what happens to our soul when we're not at rest in God. Yes, nod your head with me if you're kind of getting that idea. Okay, okay, we could keep going with this. I don't know about severe yawning. I don't know if there's a correlation. Um, if anyone thinks of one, let me know. But this is to help us understand how needed biblical rest is. We talk a lot in the new year, at the start of every new year, we think a lot and we talk a lot about health, right? Our body's health. I just read a study um, the other day that was like 70% of New Year's resolutions are related to health either working out more or eating healthier, or drinking less, or whatever it is. Um, the other 30% is related to money. So we're trying to either get our bodies healthy or our bank accounts healthy. And I would make the argument that the health of our soul is more important than our body or our bank account. Because those are temporary and souls are eternal. And so biblical rest should be a priority. It should be something that we fight for and seek and make a point of in our lives. So as we start this new year, as we kind of gear up, well, we're three weeks into it already, but as we get further into 2018, let's think about what biblical rest would look like in our lives. So what is it? What is biblical rest? There is probably no more practical place to start than with the Hebrew term that actually translates into rest, which is the word Shabbat. My husband will probably correct me on how I pronounce that later because I don't speak Hebrew. But Shabbat is Sabbath, and it literally means to rest, to cease, to sit down, to stop working. And though it's mentioned lots of times, literally hundreds of times in the Old Testament, it's probably most recognized in Exodus 20, which Mark read earlier, which is where God is giving Moses the law. So Moses is up on Mount Sinai, and God is giving him the law. He's speaking the law to Moses for the Israelites, and he gives him the, the top ten, the big ten commandments that Moses is to write on the tablets of stone and put in the ark. And these are kind of the, like, the must-do laws, right? And Sabbath is number four on that list. And we don't need to read it again, but uh, we read it earlier. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, don't work, um, all of that. You can read it yourself. It's there. Uh, the law was given to the Israelites in order for them to attain righteousness. They couldn't do it. So then there were sacrifices and atonement that had to be made for their sin because they failed to attain righteousness through the law. But that was the point of the law for the Israelites, was for them to attain righteousness so that they could be the people of God. And we are not under the law anymore. In Christ, he came and was righteousness for us. He attained that righteousness for us. And then he 
in his death, by his blood, atoned for our sin for us. He made that ultimate sacrifice, so we don't have to attain righteousness or atone for our sin through the law. We are not under the law anymore in Christ. Therefore, Sabbath is not a required practice of us. The Ten Commandments are not something that we have to do to attain righteousness. That is done in Christ. That has to be clear to us before we talk about uh, this commandment. But what's so interesting about the commandment of the Sabbath is that there is this differentiation in Jewish law, in the Israelite law that God gave to Moses, of ceremonial law and moral law. And every single commandment except for the Sabbath is a part of the moral law. And the moral law are, are the laws that we still hold to today as things that are going to make our lives better. They're not things that we have to do to be righteous before God because of Jesus, but they are things that when we walk in the ways that God outlined for us, we will know a more full life. He gave us those, those rules, those outlines for our own good. That's what the moral law is. It's things we still recognize as ways that we should live. It's why we don't murder and don't commit adultery and don't lie or cheat and we honor our parents. Those things are part of the moral law. The ceremonial law, where the sacrifices and the offerings and the cleansings and the feasts and the different things that are not a part of our, our culture anymore, that we don't even, really, we don't even know about most of them in Christian culture. And the Sabbath is the only commandment that is a part of the ceremonial law instead of the moral law. So you've got to think that perhaps, though we are not under the law anymore, though do we, we do not have to practice the Sabbath in the way that the Israelite people did, that perhaps God gave it to us within these other commandments that are part of the moral law that help our lives be better in order for us to recognize that biblical rest is actually really, really good for us. It's going to make our lives better. And so I want to talk about what Sabbath looked like for the Israelites. Because the thing that we know about it, if you've heard the term Sabbath, if you um, know anything about the Sabbath, then what you know is that you're not supposed to work, right? That is the most obvious part of the Sabbath. You do not work. For one day a week, the Jews rested from Friday night to Saturday night. They still do that. Um, no working, no ordinary work allowed. But if that was all it was, if I just told you, hey, God said that one day a week, you're not supposed to do ordinary work. You can't lift a finger. You can't write an email. You can't do a load of laundry or wash a dish. Then what are you going to do with your day? I mean, really think about it. What are you going to do with your day if you're not supposed to work? I can tell you that my husband would play golf, and I would probably go to a coffee shop and read a book. And then we would come home, and we would watch Netflix, and the only decision we would have to make is what takeout we're going to order. Are we going to get Maddie's? Are we going to get the approved three? You know, it would be a stressful decision, really. But that is what we would do if we were just told, hey, you just need to rest. You need to stop working. That is not what biblical rest is. That's actually not what they did on the Sabbath. God didn't say, hey, stop working and just twiddle your thumbs and sit around and chill for the whole day. In Leviticus 23, God kind of outlines all of the different rhythms of Sabbath rest that the Israelite people had. So they had one day a week where they practiced Sabbath, and then there were three kind of holidays or feasts in the spring, 
three in the fall, one every seven years, one every 50 years. There, there were these rhythms of Sabbath rest that God outlines in Leviticus 23 through 25. And in all of them, they are not supposed to do any ordinary work. Instead, they are supposed to do some other things. They weren't just supposed to do nothing. They are to replace their work with something else. So here's a list of some of the things uh, that God said, hey, fill your time instead with these things. Convocation, that means the, the coming together of a community to worship God and to hear the word of the Lord. So every single Sabbath, the people of Israel would come together to worship God and hear the word of the Lord, whether that was through the reading of the law, through the reading of scripture, or through the sharing of a prophet. That's what happened on convocation. Gratitude. They would come and give thanks. They would actually make offerings specifically for the purpose of giving thanks to God. Atonement. They would come and confess their sin and make sacrifices for their sin. Providing for the poor sojourner. That was written into the law that when they gathered their food for the Sabbath day, they were supposed to leave some of it for the poor sojourner so that they would be able to eat too. Remembering. There was a whole week, I think, um, don't quote me on that. Go read it. There was a whole week just dedicated to remembering what God had done for them. Recounting and rejoicing in what God had done. So these were some of the things that were included in the Sabbath practice. Sabbath always involved three things. The meeting of the people of God. The seeking of the presence of God. And the worship of the being of God. Always. Biblical rest included those things, at least one of them, if not all three. The meeting of the people of God, the seeking of the presence of God, and the worship of the people. And the same is true for us. When we intentionally rest in God, when we seek soul rest, it is not going to be simply not working and doing whatever sounds good to us. Soul rest will only be found when we are meeting with the people of God, seeking the presence of God, and worshiping the being of God. And it looks the same for us. Really, I don't think I even need to give you examples of what this looks like in our lives. Convocation, that is literally what we're doing right now. We are meeting together as the people of God to worship and hear the word of the Lord. We do that in, in community life groups. I know that there are a lot of you involved in life groups. I think it's, that's what you call them. Life groups. Um, whatever it is, you meet with other believers to worship, to talk about what God is doing in your lives, to pray, to read his word together. Thanksgiving, we offer gratitude to God. We still have a lot of things to be thankful for. Atonement would be confession, coming before the Lord and acknowledging our sin. All of these things uh, can translate to our rest in God today. They don't have to look the same way that they did for the Israelites, but they all translate to our lives. So, Sabbath, I think, if you've heard much about it, you can probably get on board with the fact that it really was a gift from God to his people. Mark 2.27, Jesus says, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Meaning, God created Sabbath, gave you Sabbath, commanded Sabbath as a gift to you because he knows that you need rest. He knows what will happen to your soul because he created it if you are not getting biblical rest, rest in him. 
And so he gave us Sabbath, knowing these people do not know how to rest in me on their own. So I'm going to give them this outline of what it looks like. But that is not all it was. It was not just a gift from God to his people. It was also a covenant sign. And what I mean by that is that when God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, he, by miracle, by parting the Red Sea and the Passover and all that, he delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, brought them into the wilderness, promised them that that he was going to bring them to the promised land where they would know rest for the rest of their lives. And in that, he made a covenant with them. I will be your God and you will be my people if you follow my commands. And the Sabbath was a covenant sign saying, you are my God, we are your people. It was a statement that set the Israelites apart as the people of God. And it said something about who God is and who they were as his people. And here are just two. There are probably more than two, but we're only going to talk about two today. Here are just two of the, the, the statements that Sabbath made about God. The first is trust. In Leviticus 25, um, God actually gives the command that the land is supposed to have a Sabbath. Every seven years, they were supposed to just leave the land alone, not work it, not do any of their normal sowing, planting, reaping, harvesting. I'm not a farmer, I don't know the words. Um, but this is, this is what he says to them. If you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you'll be eating some of, some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year, when the crop arrives. So it was, I probably messed that up, because my eyesight, you know. Uh, but it was this statement of trust, saying, we can obey you, we can not work, because we trust that our God will provide for us. When we practiced Sabbath, when the Israelites practiced Sabbath, they were saying, because we're the people of God, we have a God who delivered us, who provides for us, and our lives do not depend on our productivity. Our lives do not depend on our work, but on our God who provides. That is what Sabbath said about who God is and who we are as the people of God. The second thing that Sabbath said about God, or about the people of God, it made a statement about humility. You guys read Exodus 20, verse 11. God created the earth in six days, and on the seventh he rested. Therefore, you shall honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Who are we to think that our work is more important than God's work? That God can rest, but we can't. Because our work is more important than his. When the Israelites took an entire day to stop working, they were making the statement about God that said, seeking you and obeying you is more important than my to-do list. It's more important than my agenda. I will humble myself before you because you are God and I am not. And though we are not under the law anymore, God has still delivered us. He has still, by a miracle, brought us out of slavery, set us free, and made us a promise. We are still his people. And when we prioritize rest in him, we are making a statement to the rest of the world that says we trust our God. 
that our lives do not depend on our productivity, on our success, on the money we make, on how good of a mom we are, on the grades that we get, but our lives depend on our God who provides and we trust him, therefore we can rest. And though we are not under the law anymore, we don't have to practice Sabbath. When we prioritize rest, we are still humbling ourselves before the Lord, saying, seeking you is more important than my to-do list. Seeking you is more important than my agenda. And I recognize that the world does not need me. That you don't need me, because you are God and I am not. And though we're not under the law anymore, we still have that list of things that we enter into in order to be in the presence of God. We still have thanks to give. We still have people to meet with. We still have words to hear from the Lord. We still have poor who need us to serve them. We still have remembering to do of what God has done in our lives. The New Testament doesn't mention Sabbath very often. In fact, when it does mention Sabbath, it's actually to tell the Israelite people, hey, remember, you don't have to do that. It doesn't have to look that way anymore. If you read about Sabbath in the New Testament, that's what you're going to see most often. But there is one place where Jesus talks about rest. Rest for the soul. And he really doesn't need to mention it at any other time because he makes his point in this one verse that many of you have probably heard at some point before. In Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29, he says, Come to me, all you who, are la who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. What this is saying in our New Testament life, not under the law, is that soul rest is only found in one place, and that is in the presence of Jesus. We cannot find it anywhere else. We can't even find it in Maui, as sad as that is, unless you are seeking the presence of God there, and then it can be found. But it is only found in the presence of Jesus, in meeting with the people of God, in seeking the presence of God, and in worshiping the being of God. In my own life, this has looked different at different times. Um, I think I realized in college that mornings, I needed soul rest in the mornings in order to just be a better person throughout the day. And I wasn't going to get soul rest in a quick uh, five minutes. It wasn't going to be a verse of the day or a quick five minutes of worship on the way to class. I needed like a full hour to just breathe in the presence of God. And that has remained a pattern in my life that I have sought soul rest. It was not a whole day for me like it was for, for the Israelites. Um, but it is an hour every morning that I just rest my soul in the presence of God. And that has changed. The time has gotten earlier as I've had kids and they wake up earlier. So I've had to adjust the way that that looks. But still, that is a part of my regular rhythm of soul rest in my life. My husband, a few years ago, um, got convicted about this idea of we should be prioritizing biblical rest in our lives. And so every Friday, uh, we're going to just 
seek God for multiple hours. We're going to just go spend time with him uh, uh, separately. And then we're going to come together as a family and just not do any ordinary work and spend time together as a family. And so we did that for a couple of years. And then, you know, life changes and um, work changes and your responsibilities change. And so it's looked a little bit different now. We try to at least once or twice a year take uh, solitude days when for a full 24 hours um, overnight we don't have any regular work and we're just alone with God for a, for a full day, setting aside that time. Thursday nights for the past few months we've been not turning on any screens after our kids go to bed. Um, we don't turn on the TV. We try not to look at our phones. Um, and we just talk about what God's been doing in our lives that week what we've been praying about, what he's been teaching us, and then we pray together. This is what the rhythms of soul rest have looked like in, in my life. I'm still seeking and trying to figure out what it looks like to prioritize biblical rest. And for you, it might look different depending on what your schedule is and what your family responsibilities are. It doesn't have to look the way it looked for the Israelites or the way that it looks for someone else. But we must Make it a priority. And not just the imitation rest. It's not a shot of espresso. It's not a 15-minute cat nap. It is a deep, intentional rest in God. And what happens on the other side of that is what happens when you wake up from a deep sleep. After you have had a lack of sleep. I have a dear friend who has an infant, and she sleeps pretty terribly. Um, and so for seven months now, they have not been sleeping, her and her husband. And a couple of weeks ago, um, her mom took the baby overnight, and my friend got eight hours of sleep that night, and she woke up saying, I feel like a new person, right? You know what that feels like when you have just a really, really good sleep, and you wake up feeling refreshed and renewed and energetic. And this is what happens to our souls when we enter into true biblical rest. We come out on the other side with a renewed energy to serve the Lord. A renewed ability to pour out His Spirit, to bear fruit, love and joy and peace and patience. We come out on the other side with cognitive ability to discern lies from truth, to recall scripture. We come out with more confidence, with more courage instead of fear, to obey the Lord. There is a, a refreshing, a renewing of our soul that happens when we prioritize this that is even more important than the health of our body or bank account. So, I want to leave you with this question. What are your rhythms of rest in 2018 going to be? And I know that it would be easy, as we often do, we leave church and we go, yeah, that is a good idea. Um, I should think about that. That's great. Maybe I'll even have a conversation with my spouse about it. But then, you know, just like New Year's resolutions, um, there might be a couple weeks where we do really good. And then we kind of forget and just life gets in the way. And so what we're going to do right now is I know normally uh, we take communion at the end of every service. But uh, Jason is going to come up with the band and, and play some music. And instead of taking communion, we're going to give you guys a chance um, to really reflect on this and, and make some decisions right now about what prioritizing biblical rest would look like for you. And so there's going to be some questions up on the screen. And this might be just 
Just acknowledging a day of the week where you could set aside an hour or two to just quiet your soul in the presence of God. It might be setting aside an entire afternoon where you go for a walk and you listen to worship and you open the Bible and you have multiple hours, one day a month, that you are seeking the presence of God. Maybe it's one night a week where your family turns off all their screens and talks about what God is teaching them that week. Maybe it is prioritizing being here. Maybe you're coming to church once a month or going to your community group once a month and you need to start doing it every week. Maybe it is a retreat that you've been saying, I have too much work to do. I can't spare a whole weekend. But I need, I need to say, God, I trust you that the work will still be there when I get back and everything's going to be okay without my to-do list getting done. And I'm going to go on that retreat. I don't know what it is for you, but I want you to take time right now. Everyone should have gotten a piece of paper and a pen. When they came in, if you didn't, go ahead and raise your hand and an usher will bring you one. Um, but take time to look at these questions. If you're already practicing biblical rest, if you already have a rhythm of rest in your life, then think about the, that list. Convocation, gratitude, confession, providing for the poor and sojourner. Think about which one of those, fasting, which one of those you need to introduce more of into your and I don't want you to just write down some ideas. I want you to actually identify specifics. And then at lunch, talk to whoever you need to talk to about them and put them on your calendar. Would you pray with me? God, you know us. You created us and you know our needs better than we do ourselves. And you know that we our souls to be at rest in you. You really could not have made it more clear in your word that our souls do not find rest in anything but your presence. And it's easy, God, when we're in it, when we feel you, when we can hear you, to recognize our need for it, to recognize how good it is, but we get caught up in life and we forget remind us, God, would you remind us of how much we need to rest in you? Lord, would you right now bring to mind times, rhythms for our lives where we can enter into your presence, where we can meet with your people and hear your words and worship you more intentionally. God, may we make this a priority because you are God and Because we are 